Welcome to Veza Talks Podcast. My name is Mario Milanovic, and today I am so honored to have Andres Glusman with me. Uh, Andres is a dad, a scientist, an optimist, which mm-hmm. I love, a lean startup pioneer, and a surfer who loves living by the shore. He helped launch Meetup and grew it to a successful exit. Currently, he's the co-founder and CEO of Do What Works, giving leaders the insightful results of split testing running on the world's top 1,692 companies. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So that's awesome. So, um, you know, uh, I, I come from the world of affiliate as well, and I know what split testing is all about. But before we get into that, uh, Andrews, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you uh, started the journey of entrepreneurship and, uh, and all that. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I always knew that I really was into business. Uh, I was just as a little kid, I was one of those nerdy kids. I always thought he wanted to start a, a company. When I went to college, I was super fascinated by economics and psychology. I actually happened to have those two courses back to back and I made a major out of it. They didn't, there was no such thing as behavioral economics as a major you could pick at that point in time. And so I petitioned the college and I got them to let me do it. Anyways, long story short, really super interested in, in, in behavioral economics and how people tick. And when I left and started my career, I really wanted to sort of find the opportunity to do that. Luckily for me, after a short stint at Boeing, the aircraft company, uh, which we can talk about, which is the opposite of entrepreneurship, uh, I got involved in the very early days of the commercial internet. And so I found the world's first online advertising agency and there ran some of the world's first split tests online, as it turns out, right? Getting to work on, on those things. Was involved in affiliate marketing very early on as well, Mario. So we ran, so we were building up okay. one of the first uh, programs there and just got my feet wet and just really fell in love with not just entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship online uh, for all of the reasons that we all love it today, but because it's such a vast and wonderful lab, uh, laboratory for all the different things you can do and the ways you can affect behavior. Uh, got involved in meetup.com right. very, very early on and then uh, learned all these valuable lessons along the way. Uh, both there and in my previous startup uh, that informed me or made me become a, a lean startup pioneer. So it's a weird securities path, but it all generally revolves around human behavior and trying to figure out what makes people tick. And then the business applications of those things are pretty profound. Amazing. So that's cool. So um, what, by the way, what was the uh, affiliate marketing uh, company called? Uh, so the... Um, the, the company that I joined was called iTraffic, which was the world's first online marketing agency. It was this really interesting idea at the time when the internet was brand new, a commercial internet was new, and it was the idea okay. of putting links where people wanted to find them. So instead of thinking of it as, as like, oh, I'm going to buy ads or just put traffic up or put a, put a website up, uh, the question was, how do you get people to your site? And so the company that I worked on behalf of in this case, I think, was either C, uh, was the first one was either Disney Store or was CD Now, if you can remember that. Uh, I don't know if you were uh, involved in the internet then, but CD now. And uh, we started building up affiliate marketing programs uh, for our clients as a way of helping them drive success. And just such an interesting market. You and I, I'm sure, could spend hours uh, talking about that if you want to. But it was such an interesting thing. But there we really working with our customers to help them use this new channel and rethink the way in which they place links using affiliate technology in order to be able to achieve scale in a place where they were able to get results as opposed to the other kinds of advertising where you'd spend a lot of money at the time and get the opposite of results or get results, but get very, 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 very expensive results. So spend 300 bucks for right, a right, right. worth a hundred dollars, just not sustainable. 
Right. What were you guys using for tracking? Was it Prosper 101 back in the day? or? Yeah, what were we using? There were a few um, that were available. My two favorites at the time were LinkShare and BeFast. And I'm pretty sure that BeFast okay. subsequently was acquired by Commission Junction, which I think might be called CJ now. But those were the, uh, the yeah. those sort of predated those technologies. Right. Amazing. So what about um, Meetup? I mean, that's a really huge, uh, you know, became a big company. And I remember using Meetup uh, many, many years ago. Uh, it kind of feel like it faded away, maybe just because I started traveling more and it's not pre uh, predominant in some of the markets, I suppose, right? Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Meetup? How did you get involved and, and, and what it, you know, whose idea was it and how, how did that grow? Yeah. So as it turns out, the co-founder and CEO of iTraffic was, became the co-founder and CEO of, uh, of, of Meetup. And so um, okay. I had worked my, my butt off at, at iTraffic. I had gotten three promotions in a year, got to sort of build up a division of the company, had a great relationship with Scott. And so I left Meetup. I left all the names are, are merging together for me at this moment. Uh, I left iTraffic sure. and then went to uh, work on a startup for a year and a half that completely cratered, made all kinds of mistakes, and learned an unbelievably large number of lessons. And then Scott called me up and he said, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting this new thing. Do you want to get involved?" And I said, cool. "You know what? I, I just was involved in a startup and I just had a horrible experience with it." Uh, and, uh, I, I'm going back to business school. I just got into Wharton business school and I said, I need to go clear my mind for a couple of years. Uh, he said, well, will you at least, uh, will you get involved and just sort of help us while you got time to kill? And I said, sure. So I consulted to meet up in the early, early days, made their first $14 of revenue. And, uh, <laughs> Amazing. yeah. And it was a really great, interesting company. Wonderful people. A lot of my really good friends, uh, from previous ventures were there and just got to, to work with them and help prove out the business model. And then uh, came back full time uh, after I finished up with business school. Not my best business like ROI decision, but it turned out to be pretty good. And then sure. led all kinds yeah. of teams at Meetup over the years, including eventually leading community product strategy and growth. And so it was mm -hmm. there that I really got to experiment or get a lot of like figure out a lot of my on the ground best practices with regard to driving growth and running right. experiments. Right. Amazing. Yeah, that's it's it's always it's always interesting to hear these stories, you know, about uh well the you know, Fred asked me to do this and you know, like next thing you know, you're selling the company for six billion dollars. It was you know, funny. Kind of... <laughs> well the funny story around it. <laughs> so it's really uh, cool. The funny story around that is is um Scott was a good friend of mine and he said, uh I said, Scott, I'm going don't worry about it. I know you guys are just getting off the ground. You don't need to you don't need to pay me, I'll just do it because you're a friend of mine. And uh and I think it's interesting and fun. And he's like, No, 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 I'll pay you and he's like, I'll just I was, he's like, I'll just pay you in stock. So I only got paid. I didn't get paid any cash. I just got paid 100% stock at, at that point in time, which ended up being a very good move for me. Uh, at the, it, it was a very good decision uh, for completely for the wrong reasons. Amazing. But it was a really good decision. Um, to your point around sort of where what became of Meetup, I think it's an interesting question as well. I left. Uh, we grew to about 40 million people and users. We uh, were sold to WeWork. Um, it was a really neat company to be a part of really neat, neat, uh, year that I stayed afterwards and was a part of that, the transition. But, um, I think what ended up happening, unfortunately, uh, in the last few years, of course, is, you know, an in-person IRL company is not necessarily the best kind of company to be a part of right now, or to be running in a time where people are yep. quarantined. So, um, uh, I don't know actually how they've been doing. It's been several years since I've been a part of it, but I imagine they're facing a whole lot of headwinds. 
Uh, although I do believe that right. in the years ahead, there'll be a ton of pent up demand and energy for in-person small group gatherings, which uh, I think actually it's, right. it's a very promising time for a company like that, uh, if they can pull it off. I think it'll be a really, really neat time for them. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, a huge proponent of in-person meetings. Actually, today I'm not, uh, we, we have a, a studio and I'm not at it today. It's a, it's a long weekend uh, here and nobody, uh, nobody's, nobody's there. So I'm like, I'm not setting up the studio. <laughs> so I'm just doing it from home. But uh, you're absolutely right. I'm a big proponent of face-to-face uh, 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 -face meetings. I believe that the next 10, 20 years will be all about that as the new generation is coming up and they're unable to uh, communicate uh, with uh, human beings in a way. I mean, unfortunately, you know, because of all the um, computers and, and uh, phones and all that kind of stuff, I think that uh, guys like us will be in big demand and uh, the ability to put together, um, you know, uh, networking events and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a huge, uh, huge opportunity. So that's great. And then, uh, you know, in terms of, so, so you went from kind of uh, split testing and uh, to a, completely different, uh, you know, uh, 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 model, I suppose, you know, meetup and everything. And then now you, uh, you founded a, a, new, a new company called Do What Works. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So Do What Works was really born out of my experiences at Meetup. Uh, I was an early pioneer oh, okay. in the Lean Startup movement. It means that we were running experiments in the early days. And we had a lot of traffic that would come to Meetup. And there was humongous opportunities. If you can get just small improvements in conversion on key, key experiences, your growth would suddenly kind of compound its way upwards. And we started running experiments yep. early on. We were fortunate in that the first few that we ran were actually successful and that gave us a lot of momentum and energy and desire to keep doing it. But we ran a lot of AB sure. tests, which causes your, which caused for us, our, our growth to kind of go from linear like this to sort of start to hockey stick upwards, which is really hot, huge yep. impact. It was amazing to see. The fun thing about that is you learn the power of experimentation. The other thing I got to do, though, is learn the problems. And there's a lot of the pains that are involved in running experiments that nobody's talking about that were on my mind as we were launching this brand new thing. And so the problem with experiments, in part, is that they're amazing. They're getting easier and easier to launch. It's never been easier to launch an experiment now, thanks to Optimizely or Google Optimize or, or Adobe. Mm -hmm. Like So many technologies exist now that can help you run an experiment. Yep. Problem is, once you get it out the door, it takes much longer than you would expect to be able to get results. You're limited in the number of experiments you can run by the amount of traffic you have coming to your website. So if you're lucky and you have a lot of traffic, the typical company that we work with right now, we're working with like six of the top streaming brands. We work with huge B2B SaaS unicorns, major banks, one of the world's largest banks. They're constrained in the number of experiments they can run because of the amount of traffic that or go to any specific page. Right. Usually on average, it takes a company around one month to get enough data to get statistical mm -hmm. significance. And so that means if you're running- Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And, and so if you're running experiments and you're, um, you're limiting the number of shots you can take, it means that most companies of a certain size, like bigger companies are constrained to about 12 to 24 shots a year if they're lucky on any given page. And the bad news is that 80% wow. of experiments that people run, according to Optimizely, 80%, 8-0, do not move the needle positively. So you get 10 to 12 shots a year, eight out of 10 fail. It means that you're like a VC. You're hoping to get two wins that are going to be big enough to really outweigh the losses and make your year. And the reason why everyone right. is getting that kind of pretty profoundly terrible 
conversion rate or hit rate or win rate is because everyone is learning the lessons on their own. No one is right. learning from any other experiment than anybody else runs. And what we've built at Do What Works is a technology that allows us to detect the experiments that are being run by the world's top companies, 1,600 plus companies, as you mentioned. And we can detect the experiments that are being run in while they're being run and then declare winners and losers after the tests so that any company we work with can learn not just from their direct competitors, but from companies that are facing similar challenges in order to be able to be more effective at making bets and use the data on winning and losing experiments to optimize their landing pages better, to optimize their, their website in order to get better conversion. And now we're rolling out a new technology using AI that leverages our data to be able to draft headlines for people to use in their ads on search engine marketing so that it will automatically and dynamically generate new headlines for them based on winning and losing variants every single month in a matter of minutes. And so what we're doing is we're trying to take the power of experimentation and take all, as many of the headaches out of it as possible so that people can win more, win faster, and win with a whole lot less effort. And that's what we're doing. That's right. what we're all about. Amazing. That sounds great. I mean, I'm kind of surprised. I, I remember my affiliate days and, you know, we, in, in essence, became, uh, you know, uh, traffic buyers, really. And uh, then we got really good into the data. And uh, I mean, we were at one point running 30 to 50 million impressions a day. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about a month, when we, yeah. I mean, we had a hundred landing pages rotating uh, three at a time in real time. And we had answers uh, when we changed something in literally 40 seconds. So a month is like <laughs> crazy, you know, like, are you kidding me? So we had the ability that, you know, to always rotate three landing pages into infinity, so to speak. And, you know, at one point, our conversion rate on a landing page was 43%, which is insanity. I mean, that's like, you know, selling uh, ice to Eskimos, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember looking at this going, and, you know, we had everything, the heat maps, we had every type of data point. And we're talking 2008, 2009, 2010. So you add AI to that. Oh my God, that's, <laughs> it would be on steroids, right? So that's, that's really interesting. I'm interested about how you're using other companies' data to, uh, to, to, as intelligence to, uh, to uh, fuel what you have. I mean, it would have to be the same vertical, I suppose, right? It can't be different verticals, correct? Yeah, the companies that we work with or any given company, if you think about it, there's a peer set that you can learn from. And depending on the challenge, it, you have to figure out who the right comparables are. For a messaging challenge, for example, you very much want to stay very narrowly within your own vertical in some regards. Learning what messages works and does, don't work for your direct competitors. When you start to branch out though, if you're a company that's a B2B SaaS company and you have a pricing page, you can learn a lot from a lot of other pricing pages from B2B SaaS companies. There's probably more lessons you can learn from looking at Calendly or by looking at uh, Airtable or various other really great product-led growth companies that are facing UX challenges mm -hmm. in terms of how do you lay out your plans? How many plans? How do you convey discounts? What's your button copy say? What, how do you represent a discount? How do you represent free? Do you call it $0 or do you say the word free? There's infinite permutations That's of right. things that are going to be interesting and valuable for you to learn with very limited yeah. amount of traffic that you have. And if you think about it, it's very, very likely you can learn not just from your direct competitors, but from people who are facing similar challenges. 
an analogy I love to, to share here and that I love to, to, to kind of reference is Southwest Airlines in the United States is historically been like the only airline that's profitable for, for, for like decades and decades. And the reason it's the most successful and profitable airlines because it's very good at getting its planes serviced on the ground and back up in the air. So they really, really need to do everything right. they can to make it so that the planes get serviced quickly and relaunched. Yep. They don't study American Airlines. They don't study United Airlines. They study Formula One pit crews and see what does a Formula One pit crew do in order to be able to get their cars out of the pit fast. That's what Southwest Airlines does. Right. In the same way, you can learn probably more and there's more, more innovation that can happen by looking directly outside your competitive set at what works and doesn't work than you're going to get from looking directly within. And, and so it's really what we advocate for and the best people that we work with leverage both their direct competitors and the people in a nearby comparable space that are solving a similar problem. Amazing. Well, that's a really good analogy. I like that. I, I used to, I worked for an airline for seven years and <laughs> our airline was in, in Canada and uh, it was uh, very profitable. And the reason for that is because it has the high, it had the highest utilization rate of any uh, company in the world. Mm. So it was in the air, I believe 22 hours a day or 21 or something oh crazy God. like that. Right. So, you know, there's, and people don't realize if airplanes is that it is far better for the life of the aircraft to be in the air than on the ground because you don't have the force. It's like, you know, this huge, gigantic thing, right? So, so those are parameters which, you know, I, I didn't know about, right? But now that you mentioned them, if you were to use that, uh, you know, Formula One and, and whatnot, and actually, you know, because at the end of the day, a company is a company is a company, right? Uh, people are very uh, similar in certain things. And, you know, a lot of times when, when we, you know, for us, when we have landing pages, I mean, we have, we have a lot of SEO traffic coming to our company, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my first thing I always say is like, look, I don't have the answers. That's basically like what, whatever the, the market decides, right? But I can sure as heck tell you based on my experience that this button should be red, this should be saying this, this should be up here, you know, a call to action should be in the top right and all those things, right? Because mm -hmm. of your eyes, you know, the way they move and all this, right? So, uh, you know, the, those things I, I innately know, but at the end of the day, the market will determine uh, uh, success, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I love behavior. I, that part of marketing fast, fascinates me, you know, because it's like, it's, it's kind of like I, I, was, I, was I used to be a waiter in an Italian restaurant. It was a family run restaurant and it was really, really, really good Italian food. Mm -hmm. And people would come in and a couple of times, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, like I just want some spaghetti or whatever, right? And then I would tell them, I said, listen, you know, you came into my house. I know exactly what's good, what's not. Give me a couple of parameters and I will show you Italy. And, you know, a couple of times these guys would call me a, a used car salesman, <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay, just wait. And by the time they finished, not only did they spend, you know, 10x of what they wanted to spend, <laughs> they had the time of their life, you know, and I was able to produce something and give them this value, which they didn't even know existed, right? And I look at marketing in a, in a very similar way. If you have a good product and you're able to uh, not sell, but show what you have and how it will benefit them, right? I mean, you have a gold mine, right? So that translating that into a landing page is, 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 is the miracle, right? So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how AI actually uh, does that. So a little bit about AI. What are your thoughts about you know, the, the hottest subject in the last couple of months, you know, do you think uh, we're all going to die or are we going <laughs> to able to solve uh, the mystery of how to live to 2000 years? Yeah, <laughs> it's a very good question. So I, I don't have a strong point of view on the existential part, uh, probably because I am an optimist. So I'd like to believe that we're not all going to get wiped out by machines. 
I feel when I look at AI, the way that I felt in 1996, 1997, when I was looking at the internet and I was looking at what it felt like to use and what the possibilities were that could get unlocked. And if you sort of think about what happened in that time period, it's a pretty good model for what I believe is about to happen now that everyone at that point said, oh, well, we got to port whatever exists now and make it equivalent, the equivalent of it on the net. So what was wave 1.0 of of the internet commercially was a bunch of brochureware. It was a bunch of pages that looked like brochures. It was a translation of a magazine ad or a brochure online. That's right. And then suddenly people realize, oh, you can collect information from users. You don't just have to publish. It can be a two-way street. And you can actually interact computers to computers now as well. And we can kind of create a web 2.0 in this regard. And it started to unlock brand new possibilities. But it wasn't ever like, oh, like at first it was the internet, right? It was like, oh, do you have a web page? I sort of feel like we're at that stage now, which is sort of like we do AI. From my point of view, the AI is going to become a commodity and it's going to disappear. And it's just going to be like having a website, a website or an email address or something as silly as that. And ultimately it's about what do you do with the AI? And so the only real advantage that anyone's going to have, so there won't be a competitive advantage that says we have AI versus don't have AI. Unless by the way, this is for, for, uh, for people that are not Google, you know, Microsoft, you know, open AI, like the, the major AI providers will be its own special beast and, and, good for them and they're going to battle it out. Uh, But for everyone else who's using AI, I think the AI is going to largely disappear. And it's just going to be an ingredient around making a better user experience. And it's just going to come right back to what the internet has basically done, which is to say, well, what can you now unlock? What is that experience that's now 10x better? What's that experience that's now one-tenth the cost? (laughs) Combine those two things, you're now 10x, 10x. It's 100x better value for somebody. And that's where I think AI is going to ultimately go. And it's incredible. It's insane. I am looking at what we can do. So I'm looking at the user experience now that we are seeing that the AI, we didn't expect AI to be this good <laughs> this quickly. So I'm looking at right. the new product where right. we have, ad, um, your, it takes your ad copy, it takes your competitor's ad copy and understands what works and doesn't work. And then it generates new copy. And I'm looking at the new copy it generates for you. And I'm like, it's really, really good. And I'm sort of blown away by it. (laughs) And I wake up at four in the morning, not because I'm in a cold sweat about like, oh my goodness, I'm like, my company is not going to work. I'm wake up at four in the morning because I'm just like giddy. It's like adrenaline around how good the quality of the experience is because that's so hard to achieve. And so I just think that the bar is about to get raised dramatically where the AI unlocks a user experience leveraging unique data. And that's what the world will unhold. So our point of view, which is uh, that if we can have unique data and leverage it in a special way and just be just dogmatic and crazy focused on the user experience in terms of just making it dead simple for somebody to do something, that's where the wins are going to come from. And right. weirdly enough, that's kind of the history of the internet too, right? So like, you know, it's, it's just, it just rhymes. It rhymes with 1990, uh, 95, 96, 97. It rhymes with the early 2000s. It, it's the next chapter here. And it's what I'm really, really excited about. Absolutely. I agree with you. I, I mean, I was part of 
the early uh, pioneers. And uh, I remember people telling me, it's like, who's going to shop on, on, on online? I'm like, no, no, I mean, everything will be online. No way, man, you're crazy. Who's going to buy a t-shirt or anything like this online? Like it was just not, we weren't comprehending it, right? And I was convinced that that was the, the way forward, yes. right? And it's like, it's the same thing with email. It was the same thing with, uh, you know, text. I mean, text messages, SMS is like, I remember like, what? <laughs> you're sending, why yeah. don't you just call, right? It was just, the, the, it was the craziest thing, right? And, you know, and the same thing really is happening again with crypto, right? Crypto is the same thing. It's like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, nobody's going to be like, oh, you're in crypto. No, crypto is part of our life, you know? So uh, it's, it's definitely, I, I guess uh, we are early adopters. And I even joke around with a lot of people. I say, sometimes I'm too early. To, to be an early adopter, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's kind of funny, right? But yeah, super interesting. So, um, so yeah, so the, the, your company is up and running now and, uh, are you guys, uh, scaling? What, what, where are you at right now? Are you guys, uh, you know, do you want to hit certain, uh, targets and then exit the company or are you going to, what, what, what is, uh, what is the, the plan? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. It's, um, a company that we've been very, focused on the early years of building just the most incredible user experience we can. We believe really strongly in working from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so we've been building it up. We now have a, a portfolio. We've now analyzed over 15,000 experiments for our conversion rate optimization product. We have a huge wealth of knowledge on the messaging experiments that are happening on, on ads that we see on search engines. So uh, the base is there and the product is getting really, really good. And so now we're entering into a new phase uh, where we are putting our foot on the gas and we're launching two products or really putting a scaling up two products. So one product helps people really drive and optimize their landing pages using everyone else's experiments. The other product is a product that is leveraging this AI and our data in order to be able to help people optimize ad copy in minutes. And so the goal there with both of these now is just next chapter, build out the marketing, build out the, uh, the distribution and just go, go, go. Uh, cause it's really good in terms of the exit. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I don't know. <laughs> we have the optionality. We, it's always sort of been about the optionality and the right, the right situation will materialize. I'm sure we're just sort of like, the, the mindset is really right now around saying, if you build something really, really good and you create good distribution around it with a proven growth cycle, the, mm -hmm. the right options or the right choices will always be there for you. And so we'll just Absolutely. play it out from there. That's great. I mean, uh, definitely, um, I, I, I looked at it, but I didn't look at it in depth. I think our company would definitely love to uh, do it. Mm. A quick uh, deep dive into it. Do what works dot com dot io uh, is uh... do what works dot io. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Do what works dot io. Yeah, thank you. There you go. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, uh, look that up. So uh, as we're uh, nearing the end of our conversation, I always ask uh, the same question to all my guests, and it's the following: If you were in my shoes and you would have asked yourself a question that I didn't ask, what would that be? Mario, I love your story about the restaurant. Um, love your story about the restaurant. I think the lessons you can learn in that direction are profound. I used to be a ballpark vendor and I okay. had very similar lessons learned as well in some of the work that right. I did right. in terms of the approaches I would take. I'd right. be very systematic around creating the experience for people. And that really did yeah. drive a lot of, um, a lot of, 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 
of like the lesson learned or like being able to think through like, how do you create a magical experience? That's right. And I think you nailed it there. And that's exactly what I used to do in the, as a ballpark vendor. It's really a pleasure to talk to you, Andres. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's a Sunday. I know, uh, you know, those weekends are really uh, valuable. Uh, so we, we do really appreciate it. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, no we'll, problem. We'll and talk soon. Yep. Yeah, lovely.